0: There, this is Daniel Minnick, your host for Truth Espresso, and this episode of Truth Espresso Express. Welcome. As of this recording, I am driving to work on a Thursday morning, and I'm not sure what I will make of today because snow is predicted to start around 10 in the morning, and so in a few hours I might be headed home early. We will see what how that transpires. But as the skies are currently clear and driving into the great unknown, (laughs) I'd like to continue the series on answering the question, Was Jesus a Socialist? And this is going to be part five. And I started this series because uh, I have a coworker who likes to talk about politics and religion and stuff. I've shared the gospel with him. But um, one recent conversation he had a few weeks ago involved <laughs> the role of Jesus in his uh, left-wing politics. And he made the claim. He he made the statement that Jesus was a socialist and I thought, "Okay, I know I've heard this before, but hey, this will be cool ideas for research for Truth Espresso Express episodes." And so it's hard to believe that I'm on part 5 and there can be plenty more. From the Bible, from the life of Jesus, the teachings and actions of Jesus to answer the question, was Jesus really a socialist? And so scouring the internet to try to answer this question from those who write pro and con, you don't search far until you run into, say, the Sojourner's website, which are basically progressive Christians writing articles to support everything that a Biden administration would support and try to claim that, yep, this comes straight from the Bible. And you also have entries on... Pathos, kind of doing the same thing. And for this episode I'd like to talk about the story of Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus becomes yet another example of an argument for socialists to promote the idea that, yep, Jesus taught or expected a kind of socialist behavior from everyone, that the purpose of Jesus was to make everyone a you know a Zacchaeus. Now, where is the account of Zacchaeus in the Bible? It's Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. And I read that account um, in preparing for this episode. And this chapter follows chapter 18, which is the account of the rich young ruler. So naturally, I'm going to have links to two articles that I read from progressive Christians in which they tackled the story of Zacchaeus to try to claim that Zacchaeus became woke. (laughs) (laughs) Zacchaeus all of a sudden became aware of the needs, the plights of the poor, and he realized since he was wealthy and that he was part of a systemic injustice that he needed to spread his wealth and stop being part of the oppressor class. Now, of course, Zacchaeus, you know, was part of an oppressor class, but the way um, social justice warriors would try to make Zacchaeus of an example of today, sure, there are oppressors. I mean, come on. Uh, we see that more and more today, but it's like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> You know, like, I don't think the oppressors are those that, especially progressives, will try to claim that they are, or if they are, for the reasons that they are. Now, okay, let's get into it. Who was Zacchaeus? Well, according to Luke, Zacchaeus was chief among the tax collectors. He was a tax collector of tax collectors. He was highly regarded among the tax collectors and probably most despised among the populace because it also mentions that he was rich. And why was he rich? Well, it was probably because of his profession. So he collected taxes and he kept his own part of what people paid in taxes as his profit for doing that job. Now, yes, uh, Taxius, (laughs) Zacchaeus, was rich. But not all tax collectors were rich. You know, if some were more honest, they would just tell people what they owed from what Rome demanded and no more, and they would not be the richer because of it. So, you know, it became a complicity with Rome that those who enriched themselves, so Rome would extort money from the Israelites and then these Israelite tax collectors who were assigned posts to collect taxes among the districts would then kind of go in on the scheme and become rich as a result of the position, making them even more despised by the people. What else do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, if you've been in (laughs) Sunday school and such, you've probably heard the very popular song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. So that's what Luke records, that because he was small in stature, he couldn't see Jesus. So he'd hear people talking about, hey, Jesus, and people at the time didn't have you know news cameras and stations and smartphones and such like that so if you were Zacchaeus and standing on the ground in the midst of the crowds that would always be there you wouldn't be able to see Jesus at all all you'd hear is people saying oh he's coming by and where where I don't see him all I could see are the uh, you know people's heads above me And so Zacchaeus was determined he wanted to be able to see Jesus and so he climbed up into the sycamore tree so he can get at least ahead of everyone else. (laughs) And so as Zacchaeus got in the tree and was looking down, Jesus was coming by and then he addressed Zacchaeus and he seemed to know him. He said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. I I must go to your house you know Zacchaeus got excited and of course he made haste and came down and let Jesus come to his house and then as he was doing that you know of course those who didn't like Jesus you know were ready to say it but probably some of the people who did like Jesus were kind of in shock like why is he going to visit the house of a dirty, rotten scoundrel like Zacchaeus. I mean, we know him. He's a tax collector. Um, He's rich because he's collecting taxes. He's a thief and a robber. Why would Jesus do that? But of course, you know, as you're reading this account, you see the order of things transpire. Jesus knew what was in the heart of Zacchaeus before the people knew. But also in the culture of this day, it was almost like if someone was a thief and the robber, Being a tax collector like Zacchaeus, there was like almost no redemption. So, yes, Matthew became a disciple of Jesus, and Matthew was a tax collector, but Matthew gave it all up and followed Jesus around like all of his other disciples. But people would still accuse Jesus of hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. You know, like there was just no redemption for these people. But as Zacchaeus came down and after the people complained, Zacchaeus said, Behold, Lord, you know, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I will restore to him fourfold. And then Jesus says, Salvation is come to this house, for you are also a child of Abraham. And so that's the brief account of Zacchaeus. And of course, the socialists will try to say, see, this is what redemption looks like. This is what salvation looks like, according to Jesus. Now, Jesus tried to get the rich young ruler to part with his riches, and he wouldn't because he was so attached to them. And he said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the next chapter... As one of the articles I read emphasized, the very next chapter we're told a story where another kind of rich young ruler, well, I don't know if Zacchaeus was young, but he was a rich tax collector and he repented and he became a socialist. He stopped being an oppressor. And so Zacchaeus became woke, according to today's uh, political lingo, in support of the kind of Marxist-Socialist political jargon. But I would like to make some observations in this Zacchaeus story. So the first observation I would like to make is that Zacchaeus was a tax collector for the wicked government of Rome. Now, of course, Zacchaeus wasn't Rome. He was hired by Rome to be among the people of Israel to collect taxes for Rome, and tax collectors were despised. And it's not as if Jesus was trying to tell the people because he had disciples who were tax collectors. He wasn't trying to minimize how bad they were. I mean, he'd get the accusations, as I said, because Matthew became a disciple and was a tax collector, but Jesus emphasized that someone can repent and their identity of their sin is washed away. Matthew was no longer a tax collector, Matthew was now a disciple of Jesus. But I'd like to see how the critical theory form of Marxism today wouldn't cut Matthew or Zacchaeus the break, because you know one of the articles that I read was in the same process as saying that Zacchaeus got woke. Also, emphasized that salvation, according to the writer, is not that someone gets off the hook or is forgiven by some accounting in heaven, like they're trying to stereotype the evangelical notion of of forgiveness, that once you become a Christian, if you're truly saved, you are changed, and now you're no longer what you were before, you are forgiven, period. And as far as God is concerned, now there could be consequences that will flesh out naturally from what you've done in the past, but as judicially, as far as God is concerned, you are one of his, not of the world. But the woke warriors don't seem to do that because, say, you're someone who was considered part of the oppressor class, like right now with critical race theory, you're guilty of so-called whiteness. And what's the hope for you? That you repent of your whiteness, you basically bow the knee to the woke agenda, but there's no true forgiveness. There's only the idea that, you know, you become useful to the movement, but because of who you are, you are forever scarred. Like, you can only be useful to the woke movement, but you will never stop being white. You will never stop having whiteness. (laughs) <laughs> and you know what? Uh, the snow is really starting to come down here, and uh, so I have started to shift course and head back home, and I think it's going to be a work from home day, <laughs> but I'm glad I took this trip out in the morning. Um, it wasn't snowing when I started, but now the snow is really starting to come down, but having driven... <laughs> I'm able to record another episode of Truth Espresso Express. So I'd like to note that first observation is that Zacchaeus uh, was working for the government. (laughs) And so what he repented of, (laughs) I know it's kind of a strained point here, but think about it. Zacchaeus was working for the government to collect taxes. And that's what Zacchaeus was repenting of, and Jesus regarded that as a genuine repentance One worthy of his approval. So Zacchaeus, as I was studying this, when Zacchaeus used the word, if I've defrauded anyone, this is the same word that John the Baptist, when he was asked similar questions, like people would keep coming up to John the Baptist before Jesus' ministry started, and asked, like, well, what should I do? So you had... um, Tax collectors come up to John the Baptist and ask, what should we do? And he said, like, don't defraud anyone. Only exact the taxes that Rome requires and don't profit yourselves from it. Now, of course, that's not necessarily John the Baptist endorsing Rome, but hey, he's talking to Israelites. He's talking to people who would vie to be citizens of the kingdom of their Messiah. So how should they conduct themselves in this world when they're compelled? You know, as Jesus said, if a soldier compels you to go with him a mile, go with him two miles. That wasn't Jesus saying that a virtue of the kingdom of God is a soldier compelling someone to carry his stuff for a mile so just like that john the baptist telling israelite assigned tax collectors who were compelled to be in that position by rome or you know they would bid to be in that position by rome because they saw profit to be made to just say well you know as you are living under the bondage of rome that was prophesied to happen to you Don't be complicit in anything wrong. Don't do wrong for yourselves. Just do what's required of you to satisfy Rome's taxation and no more. But is Zacchaeus a good example for socialism, especially when the socialists seem to treat taxation as a tool? And, you know, if Israel becomes out of Roman bondage, the idea is that they're no longer subject to Roman taxes. And if you look at Israel you know even before a king the curse that samuel told the people if you desire a king he's gonna tax you because before that they didn't have taxes they didn't have a central government taxing them they had like the census tax and that was a very meager amount that was it otherwise they pretty much lived as a free tribal people So Zacchaeus was not guilty of greedy profiteering in a free market situation. He was helping collect taxes, and that was his evil that he repented of. A second observation, if you're going to compare Zacchaeus... To the rich young ruler before, there's a little bit of a difference between uh, what Jesus told the rich young ruler to do and what he affirmed that Zacchaeus offered what he was going to do. So Zacchaeus said, Half of my goods I give to the poor. Behold, half of my goods. Now, you know, it's hard to tell from the words if he meant to say, Jesus, I came here to tell you that I've already, you know, started following you. I've already given half my goods, or if he's trying to say, Jesus, I stand here repentant, and now I'm going to give half my goods. But in any case, Zacchaeus intended to give half of his goods to the poor. And Jesus commended him. He said, salvation has come. So why did Jesus command the rich young ruler to sell all that you have and give to the poor, but he allowed Zacchaeus to commit to giving half of his goods to the poor? You might say that I'm grasping for straws here, but I think it's an important distinction here. It's to illustrate the fact that Jesus' message for everyone wasn't sell all that you have and give to the poor. In the last part, I mentioned that He told this to the rich young ruler because wealth was a problem for the rich young ruler. Now, Zacchaeus demonstrated that he was willing to part with wealth. He was willing to stop trusting in his riches and be beholden to his wealth. And that was good enough for Jesus. He said he would give half of his wealth to the poor and that if he defraud anyone, probably because the half of his wealth that he gives to the poor, he doesn't know for certain who he could restore to. So if there's anyone that he's defrauded, he would restore to that person four times what he took. Then that's pretty amazing. But he would restore fourfold, but half of his wealth. He wasn't going to give up all of his wealth. You know, it could have ended up that way. But Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, that's a good first step. But remember, to be in the kingdom, you have to give up all your wealth Jesus didn't say, come follow me, because remember, in the last chapter, Jesus mentioned people being rewarded for being his disciple by giving up house and land and family. But we don't see that Zacchaeus had to do that. Because Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house. So Zacchaeus wasn't giving up his house. He wasn't leaving everything behind. He wasn't going to travel with Jesus as a disciple, and he wasn't giving up all of his wealth. I think that's important to get the context both of Zacchaeus and of the rich young ruler that I discussed in the previous part. But now the final observation, and I think this is a pretty important one, the final observation is the context of this story that can easily be ignored because what happened after the account of Zacchaeus. And as we're told in the narrative here, In Luke chapter 19, so right after the account of Zacchaeus, where Jesus says salvation's come to his house, and he says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, to tell the people, yes, there is repentance, this is my ministry to deliver people from the bondage of this world and to believe in me. But then, he tell, immediately afterwards, he tells the people a parable. This is the same audience. You know, it tells us in Luke that this is the same people he's talking to when he tells this parable. And what is this parable? Well, it's the parable of the nobleman's pounds. It corresponds to the parable of the talents. So, in a previous part of this series, we talked about the parable, the talents. But this one corresponds also to that. It's a similar lesson, where the nobleman has ten pounds to give out for stewardship, and he has a bunch of servants. Now, what makes this one different from the Parable of the Talents is that one he entrusted with five talents, and the five produced other five. One he entrusted with two produced two others, and one he entrusted with one didn't produce anything and this story of the pounds it seems like he had 10 pounds he had possibly 10 servants and to each one he gave a pound and then one servant amazingly gained nine more pounds so with one pound he invested it he stewarded he produced 10 pounds the nobleman says, because you have been faithful in much, you know, rule over ten cities. And then another one who produced two, he says, good faithful servant, you have been faithful in little, you know, you'll rule over, um, I, you yeah, know, I try to forget, I forget how many, is it five cities? Something like that. Don't quote me on that. And then there's the one who laid up the pound and a napkin and then he's the wicked, slothful servant. And the servant says, I was feared you because because you're a, an austere person and you reap where you don't sow. So what's interesting is that this is a parable that Jesus teaches to the same people in which so-called woke <laughs> Zacchaeus parted with half of his wealth and gave it to the poor. Jesus then taught these same people a parable about stewardship. And he says, you know, the one who is faithful in little will also be faithful in much. So I want to ask the question, you know, whatever systemic injustice allegedly Zacchaeus repented of was not simply that of economic inequality, because Jesus immediately taught a parable to the same audience about stewardship, unequal outcomes, and rewards proportionate to the level of productivity that someone had. (laughs) To the same audience, I want to remind us that, you know, if you think the story of Zacchaeus is about being woke, Jesus taught an unwoke parable afterwards, and he seemed to be implying that there's a similar lesson to be, like, what you saw of Zacchaeus being faithful in much. Here's a lesson about being a steward of money, and it's not just redistributing it, and it's not just about not defrauding people. It's about honest gain and honest productivity. And what is the lesson that Jesus taught in this parable? He says... This is one of those five times where Jesus says the statement that to everyone that has, it will be given and he will have more. And to those who don't have or they have little, it should be taken from them even that they have. Why? Because he's talking about improper stewardship. So someone who's entrusted with little, we don't look at them as part of an oppressed class. We look at what are they going to do with the little that they have. And to one who's given, given and trusted much, we ask, what are they going to do with the much that they've been entrusted with? So it's not about how much you have according to Jesus. It's about how faithful you are with it. Can you produce? Can you grow it honestly? And can you be righteous with it? Not how much do you have? And you're not an oppressor because you happen to have a lot, because we're explicitly told that Zacchaeus was rich because he defrauded people. And the lesson that Jesus also taught in this parable... He said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in least is unjust also in much. So he's saying, the character of the person, the righteousness of someone is not dependent on how much they have. If they can be trusted to manage little, then they're of the character to be entrusted with much. And likewise, if someone doesn't, have a character to be entrusted with much you can't trust them to manage little that is not (laughs) a socialist message so once again what do we have with the account of Zacchaeus and the context of it it's not because he was rich yes the fact that he was rich was bad for him because of how he was rich And we see once again that tax collecting was not a good thing. Whether you were an Israelite and ultimately whether you were part of the Roman government, that was the oppressor class. The Israelites wanted to be delivered from the bondage of oppression, not so that they can set up their own socialist centralized system and tax themselves into oblivion. It's not about geography. It's not about the ethnicity. It's not about whether it's a foreign government or not. Being in bondage is being taxed. And being free is to have less, or, you know, in some cases, no taxes. (laughs) And that there be no dishonest gain from anyone, no extortion. And if socialism ultimately depends on setting up some centralized system of taxing and redistributing, from my observations from reading the Bible, that's not biblical, that's never promoted. And taxation is oppression. Yeah, and Jesus is not going to conflict with things like Proverbs 10.4 that says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. So a slack hand leads to poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So riches by honest gain can be a good thing and a slack hand can lead to poverty. It's not that poverty itself is a sign of being oppressed and wealth is a sign of being an oppressor, but how one becomes poor and how one becomes rich matters. Also Proverbs 21 verses 5 through 6, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. Yes, it very much matters how you obtain wealth, not whether you have wealth. And Jesus favors also those who are good stewards of wealth because if they can make honest gain and they are righteous, then they can be a good disciple and, They can produce wealth for people, for themselves, and for people righteously. They have ought to give to the poor. They have ought to increase the economy. They have ought to help the poor. Merely redistributing wealth tends to the poverty of an entire nation. Forcing a redistribution of wealth disincentivizes the production of wealth. So you have to have people who are able to produce wealth by honest gain, by you know, honesty in the free market, to produce wealth. And it's not whether someone's rich or poor. It's not whether there's an outcome of inequality. It's the character of the people and how they get wealth that matters. And so that ends this episode of Truth Espresso Express. And so I hope you enjoyed this. Hope it was helpful. And look forward to more episodes of Truth Espresso Express and more episodes likely in this series answering the question Was Jesus a socialist? And so God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day.